Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we are back with the Beach and Company. I'm Sandy Beach. Uh, Phil Arno was fabulous. I mean, I knew he would be. Uh, he lived uh, through that. He had uh, he was hovering, not hovering, but they were over the red carpet covering the Academy Awards when the hydraulic system of the helicopter failed. They managed to get it uh, back uh, to its home base. But a hard crash landing involved him in the hospital for uh, for a while, and then in a wheelchair for three years. I did I didn't know that. I knew he had a crash, uh, but I didn't know that. And uh, it's uh, nine thirty to ten thirty. You can get that on um, what is it on our web page uh, generally. Is that where we put it? Yeah, it'll be available, WBEN.com, under On Demand. It started halfway through the first hour yep. and uh, went through the second hour. Yep. So 9.30 to 10.30. So, yeah, check that out. Uh, meanwhile, let's go to my friend Don in Pennsylvania. Don, you're on WBEN. Well, if you want to listen, you can go. Hello, Don. Hello. Sandy, how are we doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? I can't complain. Uh, what do you have for us today? We're talking about how do you deal with the death of a uh, loved one and examples of, of a celebrity or well-known people's deaths that just changed everything like Lady Diana's. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, we've all experienced it, especially at our age, uh, too much of that. Uh, but at least we're both here to have experienced it. In uh, Kobe's uh, situation... Uh, I didn't live too far from where he grew up, uh, maybe 30 miles. Oh, really? And I was fortunate enough to uh, see him play at least three times while he was in high school. He was an amazing athlete. Uh, the last game he played, he scored 60 points. Uh, yeah, he had a lot of points that he scored. Uh, are you talking about the last game he played as a professional? Yeah, as a pro. His last game was a pro. He scored 60 points. He scored at least that. He may have scored even more. But he... Well, that's what they were saying on TV was 60. But uh, it showed that even though he was retiring, he could still put the uh, ball through the net. Oh, he could always do that. In fact, he was the best player I ever saw in high school. I saw a lot of players growing up in the Philadelphia area. I mean, a lot. Well, he left, uh, he left uh, right out of high school to play in the NBA. He was 17 years old. And even if you have a great skill set, you're still 17 years old going up against grown men, and he managed to do it. Oh, he did. Uh, uh, Lower Marion, is, is outside of Philadelphia, was a very upscale uh, neighborhood where he grew up. And his, his dad was a professional basketball player. Jelly Bean, they called him, yeah. Yeah, he, so he had, uh, he had that going for him. And... Uh, he played one game in the district championship where he played a team that was constantly uh, number one in the area. It was almost impossible to beat them, and he single-handedly beat them. It was the greatest game I ever saw in high school. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And uh, 
he was really good. It's amazing to catch somebody at the beginning of that cycle of how good he was, and uh, I assume everybody knew it, and the gym was packed. Oh, the gym was always packed. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, there was maybe 10,000 people there, which is a lot for a high school game. Wow. And uh, uh, it was it was just unbelievable. But anyway, getting back to the subject of the day, uh, it's very difficult when uh, you lose a family member. But other than that, which is obviously very difficult for either one of us or anybody, uh a good mutual friend of ours, when he passed away, really affected me. Oh, me too. There were three of us that were inseparable in school, and uh, and Don and I went to his bedside as he was dying, and that was very hard to do because he was a superb athlete uh, and uh, had a great skill at all at every sport there is, and uh, we were friends from the uh, third grade uh, right up until his passing. Yes, we were, and uh, he was like, uh, like you said, he was definitely the better athlete of the three of us. He was a tough person. He, we seen him in a few fights, and he always come out the, ahead because he was tough. He was tough, and he was the best fighter in town. Remember when we had a circle around those guys, and and they decided who, who was going to fight, and they didn't pick me; they picked him, and he was the best fighter. Those guys were nuts. Of course, they didn't know that at the time. No, that's that's for sure. And but he seemed like so invincible uh, because of all of that that it was very difficult when he passed. I mean, you know, you always looked up to him as being the toughest guy, and uh, it's tough when you see the toughest guy go down. Yeah, that it uh, that that drive home from Massachusetts is the longest drive I think I've ever made in my life uh, because all those thoughts you can't just shut them off. You don't want to just shut them off. But you got to concentrate on your driving. And even though it's the throughway, and I've been through it a million times, you still got to pay attention. And it was a long, it just took forever to get home. Uh, I, I, yeah, and you had a much longer trip to get back home than I did. But uh, uh, anyway, we, we survived it. In fact, uh, we saw him, it was a little before noontime, I think, on that Saturday. And. Uh, he had he. I didn't know it until the next day when I was almost home because I got a call on route getting home that he had passed away about three hours after we saw him. Wow! Certainly cut that pretty close. Yeah, we cut it uh, very very close. Well, thanks, Don, for calling, and uh, you're a dear pal, and I know that I can always count on you. Thank you for the call. My pleasure. Have a good day. Okay, bye. Uh, Tony, I'm sure you had uh, dear friends uh, when you're growing up that you hung with and. I don't know if any of them were deceased early, but uh, but that's what we were talking about. A couple of uh, guys that I went to high school with that were on my football team, uh, unfortunately, have passed away. And, uh, you know, but it was at a stage in my life where, you know, I, I wasn't in contact with them regularly or I hadn't seen them in years and years and years. Uh, I can't imagine what it would have been like uh, had we you know, stayed the way we were. Yeah. And then finding out, uh, so, it, you know, it's any way you look at it, no matter how long you've known a person, it is so difficult to lose someone that, that you care for. You. Yeah. Now, Mr. Beamer, you got a call while you were working uh, to call another friend back because uh, they had some bad news. Yeah. Um, this was when I was still at Bed Bath & Beyond. It was, I had just talked to my friend uh, two days earlier when the Mets were playing the Giants in a playing game. We were both big Mets fans. 
and I was on the floor at Bed Bath & Beyond and received a text uh, to call a buddy of mine and then place the phone call and got the bad news. And, you know, I've never had a panic attack before where your chest just tightens yeah. and you don't really know how to react. And, and I, that one just hit me so hard because it was a friend of mine that, you know, we had stayed in touch after college, uh, but it was someone my age that I had talked to two days earlier, had plans with that weekend because I was going to Syracuse to see Virginia Tech. He lived in Syracuse. We were going to tailgate together. Instead, that day, I went to his funeral wow. before the Tech game. But it just it hit me so hard because, like I said, it's someone you were just uh, having a you know casual conversation with, and then they're gone. gone. Well, uh, as I said earlier, you never get over it. And don't listen to anybody that tells you you do because you don't. And there's also no time frame that's the right one. Uh, it's important to grieve. Uh, you may not want to. Uh, you want to just shut it off and shut it down. Uh, you will eventually give in to that and grieve. And I think the grieving process is beneficial to you to try and get some of that out, try and explain it to yourself why it's so unjust uh, because you never think it's, it's just. And the bottom line is uh, you're ready when you're ready. And if you're not ready, you're not ready. It's an individual thing. We'll take a break on News Radio 930 WBEN. Just a reminder if you're interested in any of the trips that we're taking with AAA and Dan Neverth, uh, we've done 10 of them so far. They've all sold out. We've done nine uh, uh, with Danny. Uh, the first one did not include Danny. And I said, oh, hey, let's see, let's see if he wants to do this. And he said, yes. And so uh, the, the last nine have. They've all sold out. Uh, the next trip we're going on would uh, be Russia, if you're interested in Russia. Trip a that'll be in, in June. Trip after that a couple months later, Alaska. And now the Alaska trip is interesting. Uh, it's, um, uh, it's a great trip, and it's totally sold out, except that Barbara from AAA has a block of uh, cabins that she secured months and months ago. So if you, if you got a hold of Viking, they wouldn't be able to provide you with a cabin. We can, okay? Uh, so that's uh, that one. Uh, is our, and then the last one's Australia. And that Australia is a year from now, right now, this month, okay? Uh, and uh, Australia should be fabulous, too. So we tried to pick some bucket list trips that people really like. And for information on any of those, with no obligation at all, just call one 844 688 That's 1-844-688-7477. let us go to Juanita in Tonawanda. Juanita, you're on WBEN. Yes, good morning, Sandy and Tony. Um, I just have uh, two comments. Um, my mother, both my parents are deceased as well as my sister, but my mother passed away a few years ago. Uh, the worst thing was that my daughter was planning her wedding, hoping that her nana would be at the wedding. With less than 48 hours, my daughter got married, and my mother died. And it was just a horrible time for me. Uh, it was a joyous occasion for my daughter to be married, but less than 48 hours, my mother died. And my mother was not able to come to the wedding. And my daughter said to me, Ma, if I don't see nana in the pew, then I know she wasn't able to come, because everything was planned for my mother to be able to come, you know, with the wheelchair, with the aid, and so on. But what happened was that um, the photographer, 
knew how much my daughter was so completely disappointed that they stopped at the nursing home, and my daughter and her new husband went into the nursing home all with their wedding clothing on, the wedding gown, the tuxedo, and the whole thing was able to see my mom before she died. It was just a very difficult time, joyous for us because my daughter was getting married. On the same note, it was very difficult for me to know you know, that my mother was not going to be there. There was no indication that she was at that point of death, which was the worst shocking part. And then my daughter and her husband did not know what to do about their honeymoon, but we tried to convince them to go ahead, which they did, and they were not here for the funeral. And then my other comment is this. Uh, please, for people who have uh, lost their their loved ones, their friends should continue to call them. Not every day by any means, but to call periodically and say, how's things going? Would you like to go for a cup of coffee? Did you need to go to the uh, grocery store? Do you have a medical appointment? Not to just go to the funeral home and let everything go after you pay your receipt. Yeah, because what happens is people don't know what to say. They're awkward. They're uncomfortable. They don't know what's, uh, what's acceptable to you to say. They want to offer some comfort. They don't know how to do it, and I think that's the problem. It's easier to just stay away than try and figure that out. Yes, yes, and, th- and that was my only comment. For uh, people who are going through this, uh, hopefully that their friends and loved ones, you know, acquaintances will call periodically um, because that's what happened with, with the three, my three members of my family. You don't hear from people anymore. Well, that's what happens. I have a dear close friend whose husband died, and uh, she said to me, uh, we had friends, and they were friends of both of ours, but once the husband died, they didn't call. It wasn't because they didn't enjoy her company. They didn't know how to deal with it, how, what to say. That's true. And it's important to buckle up your boots and, and go and try and do it anyway. Yes, and it's sometimes just to go over and see, are you okay, give them a hug. Sure. Go, go outside and get the mail for them because maybe they're not capable or, you know, such as that. But um, I appreciate you letting me on the air. Thank no, you. No problem, Juanita. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Wow, you just hit a home run with that and, and with our caller uh, about uh, staying in touch. After my parents have passed away, there was an uh, countless number of relatives and friends of my parents who has just seemed like they dropped off the face of the earth once my parents passed away. They just don't know what to do. That's the point. Have you ever felt awkward where you're in a situation where you, you know you're not comfortable in it? You don't know what to say. The last thing you want to do is say anything that, uh, that might be offensive or uncalled for or anything. You've got to walk on eggs, basically. basically. Some people uh, don't feel comfortable doing it. doesn't mean that they've lost the, uh, the thoughts of how good it was while you were alive. They just don't know what to do. It's heartbreaking. It's I common. mean, my, I think about it, and uh, Jeannie has to kind of uh, console me because I get really depressed, and I think about all those who are no longer in my life or have elected to leave my life and not show any concern as to how we're doing. I mean, they've known me since I was born. My mother and father died within 90 days of each other. Uh, the last time I was home before, uh, before my father died, uh, uh, my mother told me the story after he died that they were in the hospital together on different floors for different things. My, my mother uh, had every illness known to man, and some they probably didn't even know about. My father was healthy as a horse. 
until he went into the hospital and came out with uh, no legs. Okay, he was a truck driver, uh, but they were in the same hospital. Uh, she was on the like the third floor. He was on the fifth floor. When they called a stat call over the PA, in other words, get there in a hurry with whatever equipment you might need, she knew it was for him. She just knew it was for him because she told me that, and it was, and uh, and barely got him uh, settled, and uh, she died. I can't tell you how devastating that is, because you'll go through it. Your parents, I mean, uh, when when that happens, here's here's what happens. You feel like an orphan. You really do. Yes. You you might be you might be settled in your in, in your job. You might have a nice house. You might have a great family and a nice dog you like, but you feel like an orphan. And I think that's normal. And I think it's important not to beat up on yourself if you're not doing something that you used to do uh, because you just can't do it. Uh, eventually you, you'll be able to, probably. Uh, but uh, don't be harsh on yourself. I think that uh, when it happens and it's close, uh, the strange things happen in your mind. You're not thinking clearly. The one thing that I did learn is they, uh, uh, when Cindy died, every, everybody and their brother will tell you something that's very important. Do not make any major decisions, at least for six months. Don't sell your car. Don't sell your house. Don't, uh, don't throw something away that uh, maybe you wish you had later. Just let it sit. It'll still be there. And go see it later. We'll be back with the final half hour of Beach and Company. Thanks to Phil Arno from WBBZ for coming in and filling us in on helicopters and his story about the Academy Awards. We're back after this. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. And we are back with the Beach and Company. I'm Sandy Beach. We're asking uh, with the Kobe Bryant death and helicopter. You know, the other people, there were eight others or nine people total in the helicopter. It's not that we're ignoring them. It's just we don't know them and uh, have no information about them. Uh, so uh, Kobe uh, is the central figure of what people would be talking about. And that was bad enough, but it was it was made even worse by the fact that his daughter was with him, a young young girl, uh, twelve or thirteen, I think, it was, was the age. 
So Kobe got 41 years, which is absolutely too short. Yeah, but his daughter only got 13. Think about it like that. And uh, I can't imagine Kobe's wife at home with uh, other children, uh, one of them real young, and uh, losing a husband and a daughter at the same time. Wow. Uh, one, well, you know, one thing uh, in, in civilian life, we understand the process of death and funeral directors and cemeteries and whatever. I, uh, I can't imagine in combat when, uh, when bullets are flying and uh, you're just trying to survive and the, the guy next to you who you were talking to a minute ago gets shot and killed and you, and you don't. I don't know how they continue from that point on. Can you imagine? I, we'll, we'll have to ask David Bellavia that. Uh, because in order to continue, I mean, wow, this person next to me just died. And you don't have any time to process anything except keeping your head down. And I don't know how combat troops do it. Do you? Have you ever heard anybody talk about that? No, I, I haven't. haven't. But I would imagine the will to survive, the, the will overpowers to— Overpowers everything. Yeah, overpowers everything, not to mention your training that goes into effect. Yeah, let's hope so. Yeah, I think it's something you just, um, you know, obviously it's going to affect you, but you are able to hold that and process it after you get out of danger. Yeah, I can, uh, you talk about bravery. When you keep going forward and they're shooting at you and some bullets are hitting all around you, that takes guts, absolute guts. But, Sandy, I think of, you know, Kobe's wife and his other three daughters. I also think of the baseball coach who was on there with his wife okay. and their daughter. That's right. They have an older son who is a scout for the Red Sox and also an older daughter who now lost their parents and their sister. Wow. Also, I think of um, there was the other basketball coach her husband is now left with three young kids as well. So wow. just a lot of tragedy. There's no, uh, there's no positive side of this at all. Let's go to uh, Terry. Not that there would be. In Texas, Terry, you're on WBEN. Hey, Sandy. I was uh, actually going to comment a little bit about my grandmother's passing and then uh, get into uh, combat. Okay. Late. All right. There. Um, so as far as my grandmother goes, you know, I hadn't lived in New York um, for probably 10 years, you know, but I was extremely close with her uh, the entire time that I've been in Texas. You know, we talked a couple of times a week, uh, primarily on Sundays was our time to kick back and chat. You know, we'd stay on the phone for hours and just, you know, talk about whatever. Um, unfortunately, in August, I believe, of 2017, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. and mm. You know, the, the future looked pretty grim from that point forward. Uh, she ultimately... Uh, passed uh, in November, uh, like a day before her birthday. Um, but we knew it was coming. You know what I mean? And, you sure. know, the last thing that she told me on the phone was like, you know, this is going to get me. Uh, I love you. But just, you know, make me proud. Wow. Wow. Yeah. The, usually that's the first, un, under most circumstances, a grandparent is the first death a young person has to face up to. Yeah, I mean, she, like I said, we spent a heck of a lot of time together when I was growing up uh, there on the east side. We, she had a house on Wood Avenue in Walden uh, for a long time, and once the neighborhood got to be too much, she moved out to Lockport, so we also lived out there together. Um, but she was a big, tremendous part of my life and, you know, a counselor and things like that. So losing her, I guess because I didn't see her suffering through the cancer, it yeah. uh, eliminated some of the pain, but, you know, Sundays come around, and I still have her phone number saved in you know, in my phone. Um, 
But I, you know, I, I try to believe. You know, like I said, I'm a religious person, but I wouldn't, I can't just spout off scripture in a split second. You know, but I do consider myself religious, and um, you know, I try to remind remind myself that you know she's in heaven and that she's not suffering. Well, you know, if, if when you're there near the end, if you are present, uh, and and it's been a long haul, uh, there's almost a sense of relief that they don't have to suffer anymore. I know you would give anything, anything you had to keep them alive, but once they pass, there is that sense of they're not suffering anymore. That's the only positive thing you can take out of it. Yes, sir, and I, I do find peace in that. As far as combat goes, you know, I think, I mean, I was uh, 22 to 23 years old um, when when I served in Ramadi, and, uh, you know, I know guys that passed. Uh, one specifically was my commander, uh, for my battalion and 116 infantry. Um, I spoke about him with Tom and David before on Memorial Day, uh, like two days before he died. Um, he and I were in the back of a Humvee, um, uh, providing a perimeter for, you know, special ops that were raiding a house. And, you know, our job was basically to make sure nobody got outside of that perimeter. Um, but he and I had a long time to chat. And, you know, when you're an enlisted guy like I was, you know, having a conversation with a with a senior or an officer, for that matter, um, you know, it's kind of interesting because you don't get that opportunity that much. And so we talked about he had a baby coming that obviously he hadn't seen yet, um, the future that he was going to, you know, have when he got out of the military, what he intended to do. Uh, he asked me the same types of questions, um, you know. Uh, he unfortunately he passed and he wasn't even outside of the wire when it happened. They were dropping mortars on our base there in Ramadi, and uh, he just happened to stand up and look through uh, an opening, uh, you know, a, a window so to speak, and he was hit by the shrapnel. Wow! So to he- yeah, to hear him, he was like one of the like one of those instantaneous where you don't understand. But I think you know when you're that young and you're in combat like that. I almost feel like you almost expect things like that to happen except to everybody else but you. And and in order to be able to produce and to focus on your mission, it's not something that you can focus on every single day because you're not going to be able to, you know, react and utilize your training and think clearly and focus. You know, not that every firefight comes with, you know, some level of clarity that you've never experienced before because there is a lot of confusion and there is a lot of fear. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Do you process uh, the grief later on because you can't do it in the moment because uh, you just saw somebody something happened right there right then so I have to I have to stay alive uh, I think we all have that in us and do you put it aside and process it later or what do you do for me it came a lot later because you know when you lose soldiers you know people that are part of your battalion or people that wear the American flag you know, Pat's just the same, and they're out there trying to complete the mission same as you are and get sure. back safely to their families. You know, it, I think there's more anger than there is sadness uh, because you want to get retribution. You want to sure. pay back. You want to go out there and show them who the big dogs are, and so you want to find some kind of way to channel that, that almost rage that you feel. Um, but, again, I don't I, – I just – you know, everybody responds differently, and sometimes even after the mission, I've seen guys that are like, what the hell is going on? You know, they can't they can't handle it or they can't process it. But, you know, 90% of the people that I know, they didn't start suffering until after they came. Sure. And, and, and that's, that's – I know more people that have lost their lives, to be, uh, to be honest. I, I know more people that have lost their lives since returning home from Iraq than I did 
personally while in Iraq. Now, yeah. I, I was on scene at a lot of different uh, events where soldiers did die, but I didn't know those soldiers personally. And again, there's a there's something in your brain that you got to turn off and able to, to to be able to survive in that environment. You know, I, I'm out, like cleaning up a soldier's blood that you don't even know out of, oh, of a Humvee. So that you can, you know, utilize the Humvee to go out back back out on mission. You, it's not normal stuff, and you can't think like a normal person and able to be able to continue to live day to day. You 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 have to have that mentality um, that you know you're there to fight and do a job. You are in combat. You are in war, and that's probably as real as it gets. And until yeah. you know the people. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. You just literally have to. For me, when people, I had a guy the other day ask me, man, well. Uh, what was Iraq like? Yeah, he just guessed that I was a veteran by something that was on my hat. And he said, what was Iraq like? And the, the analogy that I've always used is this. It's like when you're going up a roller coaster and you get to the top of the roller coaster, right before you go down that level of anxiety and a little bit of fear and yep. excitement and all of that, it's like that, but for however long your deployment is. Let me ask you this. Uh, outside of basic training, before you got under fire, uh, later on, while uh, while things are going on, th- is there any psychological counseling on how to handle what's going on around you, or is it only done at the beginning? I don't even think we had anything that was at the beginning because I got there in September '03. So, you know, the war was technically over, mission accomplished per George Bush, but in all actuality, it was really starting. We didn't have up armored Humvees. We were doing everything on the fly. I was a 23-year-old kid worrying about going to the club and how much money I was going to have for drinks. The next thing I know, I'm clearing roads in Ramadi. And at that time, clearing roads in Ramadi, clearing roads in Ramadi, what it meant was you drove up the road as fast as possible that a Humvee could go, which is roughly 40 miles an hour, loaded down with ammo and weapons and personnel. And if nothing detonated, no IEDs detonated, then the road was clear. So you want to talk about rolling the dice, flipping the coin. You know, that was something that we did every single day. And there was really no not to knock the military or anything like that, but there was no preparation for that. You kind of just flew by the seat of your pants. Wow. There's, not, there's no training that can duplicate the sound that an AK-47 makes or what an RPG looks like when it detonates or what an IED looks like or sounds like when it detonates and actually hits the target. Until you see that firsthand with your own two eyes, you're, you can't process that. And even while you're watching it, it's still, you're still not able to process it because it's so surreal. And you, you continue to move on. I mean, that's the best. That's the way we did it. You know, you just. Well, we're, we're happy you're there to serve the country. It sounds terrifying. I can tell you that. Thank you, Terry. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. We'll take a break and return on News Radio 930 WBEN. Let's go to uh, Tommy in Lindenville. Tommy, thanks for holding. You're on WBEN. Well, hi, Sandy. i got to talk quickly because my battery's going to die. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, give it your best shot there, Tommy. I will. Now, you said somebody close to you loved angels? Yes, my beloved Cindy, yes. Okay, and you you had one painted in your ceiling, right? Yes, I did. It was it was an artist that did it on the ceiling. Okay, so my mother loved angels. She died in 2007. My mother loved angels. I own a lot of angels at my house. I mean, I've got angels that are life-size. They're replicas from German cathedrals. They're absolutely beautiful. And um, when my mom died, I asked the funeral director if I could display my angels in front of her coffin. And I, I brought my best angels, you know, put them in my van, loaded them up, put them in front of her casket. And it looked like it was so beautiful. It looked like you're in heaven. 
And so um, you said do something uh, to remember somebody by, okay? And so what I did was my mom left me with a lot of money. And I took that money and I bought a house. And I bought a house with a house number the year she died. Oh, really? It was wow. my house. Wow. She died in 2007. The house number was 2007. I said, that's the house I'm going to buy. So I bought it. It was a big old mansion with a tower on top. It was actually used for a hiding slave back in the day. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. So my mother came to me one day in the house. I was having windows. I was having glass block windows put in the basement. And the man came over to do what we measured the windows. We went upstairs into the kitchen, and we were, uh, he was writing out the contract, and he spoke out loud to himself as he was writing the contract. And I had forgotten it was April 7th. My mom died on April 7th, 2007. He goes, okay, today's April 7th. And when he said that, I go, that's the day my mom died. And all the electricity went off in the house. The lights went off. And he said, that's your mom. I go, you think so? He goes, yeah, let's just hope she turns everything right back on. Oh, man. It was, so, yeah, it was just so funny that it, as soon as I said, that's the day my mom died, all the lights went off. Wow, that's some, that's some story, Tommy. Well, thank you for sharing it with us. Appreciate it. Now, Buzzy, you have uh, several. Uh, we've got about three and a half minutes. Yes, Andy. Let's uh, go with top fan Kelly, who says... You deal with each death in your own way. You remember them, and yet, at the same time, say goodbye for now. Death is, after all, said and done, is actually a part of living. It comes to us all. You must try to remember that moving on with your own life and the ones you love still living is what is important. Live like you are living and not let the song, and like the song says, dying. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing that's very difficult is uh, you've probably been listening to a group of songs your whole life. Your whole life. You've sung them, you bought them, you danced to them, whatever. But once you have death uh, near you, somebody really close to you, suddenly a lot of those songs, the lyrics for the first time, will ring. That's what it meant. That's what the songwriter meant. And you never got it before then. Happened to me, I'm, you know, I was a disc jockey. For most of my career, I played a lot of music, and I knew a lot of music. But once you start with that, it's, oh, my God, I never knew that. Another one, please. Yeah, Tammy says, I lost my only child eight and a half years ago. She was 18. I believe she is still with me, and I live the best life that I can. I want her to be proud of the way I survived her death. I take her with me everywhere I go and know she continues to be a part of my life. Her body is dead. She is not. You know what's, uh, what's really difficult? It's things in your house that remind you, oh, I remember when we bought this, or I remember when we went there, or I remember when we laughed about this. And uh, it's not easy. But don't let anybody else determine how you grieve or how long you grieve. That's your decision to make. I remember I had an uh, aunt that once said, you need to go see counseling uh, because uh, she didn't like the way I was grieving my grandfather's death. And I thought, wow, this lady is off of a rocker. And I was young at the time. Nobody knows how you should grieve. Right. Nobody. They can give you advice and tips and some will help and some won't. 
but it's really your choice to make. Okay, my voice lasted three hours. Do you believe it? It lasted a full three hours. And now we're going to go to the final. The uh, final cash code word is bunk. B-U-N-K as either phony or a place to sleep. B-U-N-K, send that to 72881. You might win $1,000 cash. Sandy Beach WBEN studio rings out in support of those who rang the Roswell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center victory bell today in celebration of a victory, large or small. Elvis has left the building. Oh, I wish we never had to leave the beach. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. What the hell do you know, you ignorant bastard? All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.